0: I should have spent more time on algebra and less on souping up my Camaro, thought Trey as he paused just after exiting the door of the 707 to allow his eyes to adjust to the bright, tropical sun. It was February 14th, 1972, Valentine's Day. There he stood on the tarmac of Tan Son Nhat Airport, Saigon, South Vietnam. Shaking his head, he muttered, How did I end up here? A GI walking in single file behind him overheard the comment and responded. The same way I did, buddy. Your number came up. Yeah, Trey thought. After flunking out of college, he lost his deferment and Uncle Sam came knocking. To add insult to injury, the Army, in its infinite wisdom, had selected and trained him as an MP, a military policeman. A policeman going to a police action. His high school friends had kidded him right before making Trey promise to return home in one piece. Trey, like the rest of the cherries, were guided to a hangar which, although spacious, was dwarfed by the sheer magnitude of other hangars which lined the runway on this sprawling military facility. Inside the hangar, Trey immediately found his escort who was there waiting for him, a firm but brief handshake accompanied an understated, Welcome to Vietnam, from this burly, bigger-than-life, jolly green giant of an MP, who would shortly become his partner and mentor. Trey was quickly ushered out a back door with a duffel bag containing his personal effects slung across his shoulder. On the short walk across the parking lot, his escort, who went by the nickname Bud, guided him to his bunk in a nondescript, Quonset hut where he unloaded his duffel bag. Then, after a quick stop at the latrine, he was taken to meet his CO, his commanding officer. Y'all lucky, Private, the CO began. You get to start your tour of beautiful Vietnam right here, in the confines of the safest place an MP can be, smack dab in the middle of Tan Son Nut. For the first few weeks, all that Trey did was patrol around the base with his partner Butt. At first, he was paranoid and hyper-vigilant. Trey imagined the Viet Cong Gorillas lingering just outside the rings of barbed wire, hiding in the rice paddies off in the distance. Bud would just scoff, claiming to have a sixth sense about these things. Calm down, you got nothing to worry about, Buddy, he would say, trying to reassure Trey. Most of the fighting is far away from here. After a few days, Trey knew that Bud was right. Although the airport was a beehive of activity, Saigon itself was generally calm. Occasionally, he could hear an arc light, a series of deep, dull, thump, thump, thump of bombs dropped from a B-52, exploding somewhere far off in the distance. But that was about it. After a few weeks, Trey started considering that occasional rumble off in the distance reassuring, a reminder that the real war was being fought somewhere else, somewhere far from where he was. After a few weeks, Trey and Bud's duty switched to patrolling areas of Saigon. He soon became comfortable being off base and out in the neighborhoods. After breaking up a fight between U.S. soldiers in a bar one afternoon, Trey met her, Trang, a thin, attractive, petite Vietnamese girl about his age. She had deep dark eyes and long black hair. She was standing across the street, waiting on tables at one of the more legitimate restaurants in this otherwise oddly touristic neighborhood. After Trey and Bud had broken up a brawl outside a girly bar, Trey ambled across the street, ostensibly to ask Trang if she had seen what had triggered the fight. After that, Trey made sure to swing by the restaurant as often as he could, just to make small talk with Trang and her surprisingly good English. At first, Trang was shy and standoffish, but she couldn't resist the tall, lanky red-headed guy from Racine, Wisconsin. In time, Trang had explained how she too was a stranger in Saigon. She had migrated from her home Hue, a city which had been the scene of heavy fighting during the Tet Offensive just two years earlier. As 1972 progressed, so did their relationship. Trey and Trang saw each other nearly every day. Around them, the U.S. was continuing to withdraw ground forces all across Vietnam while simultaneously training up South Vietnamese soldiers to take their place. This process was termed the Vietnamization for the defenses of South Vietnam. Hence, the airport was very busy, flying out American soldiers and training new South Vietnamese military pilots. Unbeknownst to the world, American and North Vietnamese diplomats were secretly negotiating a ceasefire to end hostilities in Vietnam. A few weeks later, his partner Bud was demobilized and then Trey became the veteran MP on patrols inheriting a new cherry as his partner. Then, on January 23, 1973, President Nixon publicly announced the signing of the Paris Peace Accords, an agreement to end hostilities between South Vietnam and its allies and North Vietnam and its allies. Among the terms included the release of American prisoners of war and a 60-day timetable for the withdrawal of American soldiers from everywhere within Vietnam. Two days later, Trey's Co announced that Trey was scheduled to leave Nam In five days, more than a month before his expected 364-day tour of duty was scheduled to end. Most soldiers would be elated, but Trey knew it would mean leaving Trang behind. That night, Trey broke the news of his imminent departure, but Trang had news of her own, news that she was reluctant to share. Trang was at least two, probably three months pregnant. Trey was stunned. He didn't know what to do. He really liked Trang, but he doubted his ability to be a husband and a father at only 20 years of age. Trey also knew that the US military bureaucracy had created a Byzantine process, which soldiers had to follow in order to obtain permission to marry a Vietnamese woman. Securing said permission would take more than a year of military processing, even if he did manage to secure the permission of both his CO and the army chaplain. Trey rolled around sleepless throughout the night thinking about it, and this overwhelming sense of responsibility toward Trang and for his unborn child swept over him. By daybreak the next morning, he had formed a plan. Trey intended to return to the US obtain his discharge from the Army, and raise the $2,000 necessary for securing a visa for Trang, then return to Vietnam and marry her as a civilian. That way, he could bring her and their child back to the United States in a matter of months, not years. Five days later, Trey stepped off the Pan Am jumbo jet and onto the tarmac in San Francisco. He immediately searched for a mailbox, where he dropped the first of many letters that he would write to Trang. Trey was discharged, returned to Wisconsin, and started working as an auto mechanic in a local shop. He began saving his money for a return trip to Vietnam, and dutifully wrote a letter to Trang nearly every Saturday night. Trang wrote back, too. Finally, after six months of constant correspondences, Trang wrote how she had given birth to a healthy baby girl on May 1, 1973. A girl that she had named An. After that, the letters stopped. Nothing more came. Trey continued to hold out hope, checking his mailbox daily for months. Then, in the spring of 1975, a sudden and swift North Vietnamese military offensive overran the South at that point a united vietnam was effectively closed off to the western world trey had no choice but to move on with his life with no letters and no contact with trang he eventually married and divorced and married again but he never fathered any more children instead he held on to the memory of a daughter that he had somewhere in vietnam a daughter who he had never seen never held, never met, never talked to, but one who continued to haunt him in his dreams as a repeating reminder of what he had left behind in Vietnam.